0: Welcome to No Ordinary Story with Helen Lee, founder and creative director of Rosette Designs & Co., a wedding and event company in Singapore where she talks to ordinary people who create extraordinary life by overcoming their challenges and building something amazing. And this is their story, True & True. Welcome to our first episode. I'm Helen, your host. Today we have Lillian Ong as our first guest. So Lillian Ong is the founder of Class Living, Woman of Courage Asia, which are both women empowerment platforms. Besides that, she's also a mother of two youth. She's also author of Woman of Courage, Breaking the Fear Barrier, a courage coach, mentor and speaker who has touched thousands of lives through sharing of her story locally here in Singapore and overseas. She also volunteers in social work projects around the region, including female juvenile institution locally. Having struggled with self-doubt and fear, battle with postnatal depression and attempted suicide. Her mission now is to inspire and empower women to break through, get unstuck from their vicious cycle of fears, self-doubt, limiting beliefs, to living a life of courage and purpose. But most importantly, she's my cheerleader, my mentor. You know, this podcast would be just one of my dreams and a bucket list, if it's not because of her clarity session. I wouldn't know why do I want to create a podcast. So that's Lillian for you, always asking, what is the intention of this? Lillian, could you tell us how it's all started? Is there any particular moment when you switch from having a depression, suicidal thoughts to enlightenment, or is it a gradual process?
1: Okay, I think first of all, thank you for your invitation. Yeah, I'm... Very honoured to be your first guest for your podcast. The journey, if you want me to pinpoint a time or to state a year, uh, seriously, I, I can't remember exactly when because the journey truly, I think, begins in 2007. At that moment where I myself surrendered and decided to change, decided to step out of my own personal comfort zone, that's when... Actually, the change begins. Do you remember what happened in 2007 that led to that awakening? Right. Uh, 2007 was the year I took action because of the meltdown. After that, I, I took action. I started the furnishing business in 2007. So that was the first step stepping out. Yeah, that's why right. when you ask me like when was it, I, I couldn't really pinpoint the year, but I could remember 2007 was the year I registered my uh, furnishing business. So that helps me to remember that was the year that I took intentional action. Okay, 2007 was also the year that I have a near-life experience. I was involved in a three-car accident. Oh, that's scary. So the accident happened before you decided to change or after you decided to change? Actually, it was the sequence was the other way around. I made that decision, and then the the car accident happened. Okay, this part here involves a lot—a bit about about spiritual involvement. That's just okay. Yes, yes, sure, sure. This part of your journey. The day I got my driving license, that was like maybe about eighteen or (laughs) nineteen, was the day that I started having nightmare of car accident. I had nightmares of car accidents so um, frequently that I actually just ignore it. But uh, the accident, o- the, the nightmares always felt very real. So I will wake up feeling body ache, like like I've really been in an accident. My body will be aching. So much so that I, I didn't really think much about it. And it comes on and off. So I have nightmares like for <laughs> so many years until 2007. When I decided to, that was I think October twenty nine. I registered the company. I remember October twenty nine because that was my dad's oh, birthday. Wow. That's quite memorable. Yeah. So when I registered the the company and and jumpstart that the, the journey, this uh make that decision. You know, okay, God, you know, I surrender. I will do this. I'm willing to do this. Then come December nineteen, December nineteen was the accident. December eighteen, I have a nightmare again. Of the car accident, three car accident, that was the middle car. And it felt so real as usual. And then I woke up thinking, (laughs) not again, another accident. But then noontime, 12 o'clock on the 19th, the accident happened. Almost, I would say 90% close to the nightmare Mm -hmm. that I had. So when you are in that car accident, the real one, does it feel surreal? Is this real or not? Yeah, it was like deja vu. Deja vu. Yeah, it was like deja vu and... I was very traumatized. Yeah. I, I'm thankful that no but there's no death. Even though the situation the way whichever angle you look at it, there should be death. <laughs> you mm. know? Because uh the the, the Yeah, it was very bad. The airbag went off and all that. So the smoke was everywhere and all that. I thought the car's gonna explode or what? That must be so scary. So what happened next? Yeah, I'm just thankful that I survived. So when I came back home, I remember the first thing I went to the Bible and I just flipped the Bible and God showed me in Psalms that, you know, he saved me from the gates of death that I may one day share his uh, praises in the Zion or something like that. Yeah. But all I could remember is he saved me from the gates of death. Did the
0: accident spook you
1: off because you just decided that you want to change, right? Then suddenly this accident happened. Yeah. So I registered a company in October, but the accident happened in December. So what do you do next? Yeah, because I decided that, okay, I'm going to go ahead and take action. I'm going to trust and obey, because prior to that, I was stuck in the depression, right? And I had this meltdown in the playroom after the meltdown, got sent help. You know, I, I reached to that meltdown,
0: <laughs> but it's, it's just interesting because uh it was your journey of entrepreneurship, and you never thought that one day you will create a community of women. Back then it was just okay, my first step is I'm gonna register a company and then see where
1: this leads me to. Yeah, it was also an opportunity that presented itself because my husband and his friend they were pretty entrepreneurial at that time. You know, they were trying out different businesses and they, but they can't be involved full time. So they needed someone they can trust to run the operations and everything. So by then my child, my children, uh, one is about six seven, uh, six seven. Yeah, seven years old. Then the second one's about five, still in preschool. My husband was like, keep talking about, you know, maybe it's about time that I think about going back to the workforce. And then in church, pastor was preaching and talking about cultural mandate. And then I I was reading, I started going back to church, um, but not mingling with anyone, just go in and out just to catch the sermon. Because before that, you had a moment of backslide. Yes, yes. So, uh, but I went to the bookstore to start buying books and all that. So I started reading and then I realized that God is answering a lot of questions in my heart through the books that I I, I bought and read. And I never even articulate out those questions. You know, Mm. they were just questions in my heart that I didn't voice out. But God was using those books to answer my questions. That's where I went like, okay, wait a moment. I think he's talking to me, Mm. you know, through all these books. Because I never even bring up these questions to him, but he's answering my question. Oh wow, that's yeah. divine! Right. Yes, so I I knew I knew God is uh, speaking to me through those books, and through those books, bringing healing, yeah, and preparing me, reading up of books and all that. It happens before my husband and his friend pop the question about starting the business. Okay, so that's why. You know, God has been preparing me for the business. For the business. Yeah, without me knowing, of course. Yeah, it was only until I read um, Running with the Giants by John Maxwell, one of his his very powerful books, The Story of Abraham. I got asked Abraham to step out of the unknown. And then I was like, okay, what unknown are you talking about? Because going back to the workforce to me is going back to the real estate. That's what I studied. That's what I'm familiar with. Okay. Two words just jam, jump out of the text and that is trust and obey. Mm. So I was like, okay. Then my husband, they were sharing, they were talking about this business opportunity, the furnishing and all that stuff. And then asked if I would like to be involved and, you know, be the person in charge and all that. So I was like... So everything just clicked. Yeah. So it's like, that is the unknown. <laughs> yes. That is the
0: yeah. unknown. I <laughs> mean, we can only prepare ourselves and when opportunity knocks. that's where we... It's a step of courage,
1: right? Yeah, and also whether you recognize that moment or not. So, if if God has not been speaking to me, and you know, I've been reading all these books and you know, uh, in, in communication with Him, when my husband and his friend brought up this topic, I wouldn't be able to recognize mm. that it is a you know a, a, an opportunity that is presented by God, like I I personally feel that if I was still busy, you know, doing my housework you know, still being stuck in my victim's mindset, that opportunity wouldn't even appeal to me or even it wouldn't create a a challenge anyway. I would just probably just sweep it off like, no way, I'm not going to do that.
0: Mm. (laughs) So from this, I picked up a, a trend, like when you prepare yourself and then you just do what you can, just trust or obey, trust or obey. And then when the opportunity comes, then you can jump in. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. but I, I didn't jump in. Okay, didn't jump in. <laughs> I didn't jump in. I struggled. I struggled also. Yes, I struggled. I was like, uh, you know, the, the victim's mindset, you know. What like, kind of victim mindset do you have then? I, I don't know how to start a business. I know nothing about, you know, furnishing. Okay, I, I'm in a real estate. I love show house. I love visiting show house and show flats, you know. I love admiring those beautiful decorations and all that. But this is a business we're talking about, manufacturing the sofa, creating the, the window dressing, you know, it's like really behind the scene. So And and involves a lot of technical knowledge, you know, what kind of foam, what kind of spring <laughs> and all that stuff. First of all, I do not know how to even register a company. I have no knowledge in interior decoration or interior design. I'm not officially trained in that. I have an interest, you know, but I'm not officially trained. Who am I to start a business? I don't know how to do I don't know how to run a business. So a lot of I don't know. <laughs> but you do it anyway. Yeah. So I prayed about this, had some argument with God, you know, like <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. You know. And then again, like, you know, Pastor was sharing about cultural mandate, marketplace ministry. All this information. They all say the same thing, you know, stepping into the unknown, trust and build trust and obey, you know, that kind of message. And then my husband, I remember he was very funny because he was trying to convince me to to take up the challenge. Casually, jokingly commented, "Uh, Jesus is a carpenter. (laughs) All information presented to me to be going to that direction. So it's a matter of whether you're willing to do it or not. And then the other question that I asked myself was like, okay, because the other uh, scripture that were always presented is, you know, be bold and strong and courageous, you know. It's like, how to be courageous, you know. And then I'm a mother here. My main concern back then is my two kids. So the question that I keep asking myself is, how do I teach my children courage? And then you have the answer yourself. The best way is to walk the talk. So by taking up this challenge, it's me walking the talk. Yeah, so agree. because I'm stepping into something unknown, I have to learn. I have to go back to the school of hard knocks mm-hmm. because I, I didn't have a mentor back then. So everything I have to like just Google search everything. Oh, thank you. Still have Google back then. <laughs> I believe it's Google. Yeah. <laughs> so so from then you have your business for nine years. Yes, ran the business for nine years before I sold it off to an interior designer that the business journey itself has taught me so many, many, many lessons. I mean, it's like life skills and life lessons.
0: When you're in the business, would you ever think like, I will continue to do business for the longest time? Or do you think like, okay, one day I will start something else, not not this
1: business? Yeah, I all I know is, okay, God, you lead the way. I know you have something in, I know this is the next step. Okay, I'll just do whatever you ask me to do. Through this, I hope that I can help other women to also be able to uh, gain financial independence. Like I'm able to provide a job because by running the business, right, uh, I told myself I'm able to create employment. So, you know, I'm able to create jobs for women. So
0: back then you already have that seat on on you when you're running a business, like you want to help women.
1: Yeah, because uh, that business created a way for me to be financially independent for myself. You know, I was able to pay myself a salary and I'm enjoying what I'm doing with all the decorations and all that. So eventually I got in a a shop space, you know, and I was able to reach out to my client as well. That probably due to my personality. So many of my clients become friends. I can connect with women (laughs) very naturally. Yeah, we have a lot of common topics, right? <laughs>
0: so you were enjoying the business. Yeah. It supported you financially and you have ways to help other
1: women. But in the end, why did you decide to sell the business? Okay, it came to a point actually uh, where I hit the plateau. I mean, there were a lot of ups and downs. It, it wasn't a walk in the park or you know a, bay, a garden of roses, a bay of roses, you know. Yeah, it's, there were many challenges and there were times that I feel like giving up as well. So I remember there was one time I was so tired because. When you are doing, when the business grow, the manpower is not able to handle the growth of the business. Uh, that's where the stress comes in as well. It's a good problem, but it's still a problem. Yes, I think a lot of entrepreneurs had that problems where they have the business but no no manpower, and they end up they are the one that yes. Do it themselves. I was in the business. Yeah, I was like working. I was. Always meeting clients, you know, my weekends are burned. Sometimes uh, the business grow until I have to drive over to JB, to the job site to meet the client. I'm seeing my clients more than I see my children. That's that's not healthy anymore. And I skip meals to a point where I feel very, very tired, physically very tired. And I felt like giving up. And I lost the the passion for the business. I, I wanted to be able to create safe space for women to work here, the environment. Through the business, I was able to help quite a few ladies, uh, some in their transition, you know, in their career suite. But it came to a point where I was so tired, right, that I wanted to give up. And I was finding an excuse to give up. That's why I met uh, Ilim, Ilim Chiu. Yes. And then we had this conversation and I felt like she slapped me in the face, you know, (laughs) like people are, are, you know, trying to survive trying to fight for the business and survive. And here you are, you're telling me you're finding an excuse. It sounds to her that I'm finding an excuse to give up the business. So that was a wake-up call for me. Would
0: you think that that actually could be another sign that you should go to another journey in life because of that unsatisfied feelings?
1: Yeah, I mean, on the hindsight, I begin to see that that was the time where I was exposed to this publisher as well talking about the book writing a book and all that stuff and i think that i have that desire but i didn't dare to have that desire you you get what i mean what kind of desire to like do something great you would have this self-talk like who do you think you are mm. you know like you have this desire that maybe i can write a book because i started reading books and i find that it's it's very powerful you see you, you really can help people so I do have that desire that maybe I can write a book. Then immediately you have the voices of who do you think you are to write a book? Your English is not even good, you know. And all that negative um, voices start attacking and then you just buried it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Just a silly thought. You know? So that's become another
0: desire for you to, to actually want to contribute because you started in the business, want to contribute, then the business gets you tired. Then you feel like there's something more than just doing yeah. business.
1: And that business came to a point where it's either I have I a have few options. One is I go and rally for investors to pump in capital and grow the business to the next level. This is very traditional business. I wanted to incorporate technology, wanted to revamp, to to bring in technology and automation and all that. You require a lot of capital. And back then, you know, I've spoken to quite a number of programmers and all that. Back then, the technology has not come to a point where they can Program the, the, the software to what I envisioned. So they were saying it, it can't be done yet. I was very feeling very frustrated. It's very manual. Then there are a lot of things that I feel that I can automate, but the, the, the technology is not ready. Either I pump in more capital and then employ more designer, draftmen, and that kind of stuff. The thought of that is very tiring <laughs> already. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. yeah. Then the other option is continue like that, just continue like that, you know, a, a nice, cozy shop. But we all know, as entrepreneurs, we all know, it's never going to be like that. It's either you go up or you go down. <laughs> yes. yeah. Especially now in COVID, right? It's really a yeah. test. So the other option is like a, a, a dream. Lah. Okay, somebody kind of buy over your business. That would be the best. Lah. And that was what happened. Someone came knocking on the door at the perfect timing So that's how I exited the business.
0: This is also another lesson for people who want to start a business because sometimes we are eager. I want to do the business. But after a period of time, certain business or most business will hit that plateau. Mm. Like either you go up, you maintain or you go down. So I think from here, I can tell that your journey is never one straight line. No, no,
1: no. Yeah, it's a
0: roller coaster. (laughs) Then you stop at where you actually want to write a book and is the book
1: become the catalyst for all this movement? Yes. The book was a struggle too because it's another unknown. (laughs) It's another new thing. It's another thing that I've never tried before. So it challenges me. It really challenged my mindset. So I had to deal with my limiting beliefs before I can even embark on the book. So the book journey to take up the challenge of writing the book itself is another personal breakthrough, different beliefs that I have to, to tear down. Why you choose to write about Women of Courage? Okay, initially, when I was uh, being introduced to this publisher, they, they recommended that I write about the furnishing because that's the, the business I was in, right? So to be the expert because the the publisher's direction is you know to help entrepreneurs by leveraging on a book. Yeah, the, so the book is like a marketing tool. But I just didn't feel, you know, my like, writing about the furnishing business. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, to share about, you know, all the different tips and decoration and all that stuff. I just don't feel that it's that direction to go. I wanted to like empower women, inspire women. So I, I, I discussed with the team, the, the publisher, they has a team, ding dong, ding dong, quite a while. And then they said, it's fine if you don't want to write about your business. Of course, they're not going to stop me. But then initially, the title was Woman of Courage. That means single. Okay. Woman of Courage. That means it write about me, my story. Mm. Oh, that poses another challenge. Who's going to listen to my story? Who's going to read about me? There's nothing interesting about my story. So that's where I was stuck again. And then I shelved it. I shelved it also because my my dad had some uh, health issues. So so the whole idea of writing the book is being shelved for a year.
0: Oh, okay. Do you invest money in the process of the book?
1: Uh, yes, I sign up for the package because it's like a, it's like a mentor program, mentoring program. Okay, and then they let you defer for one year. Yeah, I, I can't move. I couldn't move, right? You Mentally, if you're not ready, physically, you can't do anything. There's not, nothing you can write about. And I refuse to write about myself. I can't remember how, but I just hear this voice that look around you. Because back then I was... Uh, doing Connecting Mother support group, right? We had the Connecting Mother support group. You already have that connection, Connecting Mother... Okay, Connecting mothers' uh, support group started way back when, bef- even before the furnishing business. It was, it started when I just getting out of my depression. Maybe you can tell what is a Connecting Mother about? Okay, so let, let's go back in time. Okay, <laughs> let's go back in time. Go back in the, in time where I was trying to get out of depression. I remember I say in the playroom, right? I surrendered. I acknowledged where I was. I need help. I need support. And support came the next day. Support came at the next day as a neighbor. This neighbor, uh, she her name is Susie. She approached me because she has been observing me. Oh, your neighbor. And she, oh, that's yes, nice neighbor you have. Very nice neighbor, a sister in Christ. She saw that I was like a walking zombie back then. I was like a walking zombie, right? You can my 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 routine is very routine. <laughs> Before the business even. Before. Before the business. When she approached me, I also recognized that, oh, this is help. And then I struggled with like, should I accept this help? Because I'm I always put up a very strong front, right? Yeah. So to receive help back then to me the mindset is is weakness. You see, so I'm okay, I don't need help. Yeah, that's you know. a very common mindset, yeah? Yeah. So but the day before, I already acknowledged that I need help, right? <laughs> This looks like help. Very reluctantly, you know, I ex- accepted her invitation to her home, bring my kids to her home. Why wow, it's so uncomfortable, you know, because when you are in a depression mode, right, you just want to be alone. You don't like to socialize. You don't like any form of interaction. I mean, to me, uh, for me uh, at that time, I, I, I just want to like, just leave me alone. Yeah, and do my things. <laughs> Did you know that you were in the depression mode back then? No, I don't. Yeah, all this is on the
0: hindsight. How do you feel back then? Because I think a lot of people are in that stage but they
1: may not come to a realisation that hey, I'm in depression actually. Yeah, I am actually a high-functioning person in depression. That means I look okay. I look perfectly okay because I'm still sending my kids to school. I get the house done clean. You know, I was a perfectionist. You know, I I even like mop the floor with Dettol and hot water because my kids got, my boy got eczema So I'm like, I'm managing the household very well. On the hindsight, when I look back, the only thing that is a clue that I was not well, I wasn't socializing. I was just always me, I, myself and the kids and my husband. And then sometimes my parents came, my parents. So it's just very, very isolated. Isolating. You feel lonely. But I'm sure you have friends back then, right? Were you ignoring them or were you? uh, I didn't want to contact any friends at all because and then you know I gave up my real estate job you know I was at the peak of my career and then I, I gave it up for for my oh, baby you were a real estate agent yeah I was in different in a spectrum I, I did valuation the okay. property management I landed up uh, doing marketing sales and marketing then and then gave up because of uh kids yeah because my boy was having very bad eczema since a month old so I have separation that <laughs> <laughs> So uh, his condition was really, really, very bad. So uh, I feel so, so a lot of guilt, uh, self-condemnation. I feel so bad that, you know, I'm a bad mother and all that stuff start coming in to the extent that I gave up my job. You decided to give up your job because of the children. Yeah, it was a choice. It was a choice. It was a decision I made and then I blame myself for making that decision. I blame myself for not being a good mother, you know. So I'm like stuck in in between because yeah. actually maybe it's not the
0: decision that you wanted but you feel like you have to do it you kind of force it- uh
1: there, there is a mixture of obligation and and desire because I, I guess it's mother instinct no matter what he's he's my son i you know i i feel painful when i see him uh, yeah. suffering with eczema obviously he's more important than my career yeah so i i made that decision but because of that I went into this isolation and then I lost my identity because back then, you know, I was doing well with my job and all that, right? So you were financially independent, you know, you do whatever you want. I was in my early 20s, uh, mid-20s, mid-20s, 27, yeah, 26, 27. So this little life (laughs) needs me, you know? Yeah, and and I cannot just abandon him. Do you think that because of that, you don't feel like yourself anymore? Yeah, I began to lose my identity. Everything was about milk, diapers, (laughs) milk, vomit, you know. Oh my God. How long was that? The whole period? I was a stay-at-home mom for seven years. Oh wow, seven years. Seven years, yeah. The first few years, the first three years or so was disastrous. (laughs) (laughs) How disastrous? I was in that depression mode, and I didn't realize that, you know, depression has no face. Mm, Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, up and down, up and down, you know, emotionally very unstable. Plus, my husband's work requires him to fly, right? So, every time when he's back, I can only see the flaws. I can only see what he cannot do, what he failed to do, you know. But what he did, yeah, it, I was blind to it. And because there's a lot of resentment. So, it affected our, our relationship, our marriage as well. So, a lot of resentment. We, we, we can't hold a conversation for more than three sentences and then all hell broke loose.
0: What do you think the reason behind your anger in your marriage? Was it your husband or do you think you have an underlying issue
1: before that? Right. Very good point there. Very good point. Actually the depression the the postnatal depression the whole pregnancy thing is a trigger. It's a trigger of a underlying issue that has uh have a history. Yeah. Okay. So if you know my story that, you know, at the age of five or six, I was being molested. Five years old, that's really young. Did you remember the situation? Uh, it was a selective memory. That means that uh, a big portion of it was erased in my memory, but there are certain memories that I couldn't erase it. So they are still there. So it was only during the, when I started working in, on myself in a, and embarked on this personal development journey, Part of those programs will bring you back to when you are a child. In the NLP program, yeah, they, they do use NLP tools, techniques, and all that timeline therapy and all that. Yeah, but I think also in church, we 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 also you know go back to our childhood and resolve any issues in our childhood. And you don't realize it at that tender age, at that very young age. I didn't speak to anyone. I mean, I was traumatized definitely, but I didn't know how to verbalize it. All I could remember, right, was that fear, the anxiety, because I remember very vaguely, you know, my grandmother was screaming at someone, you know, the adults were shouting at each other and I was just totally just shut down. I mean somebody actually found out about it? I believe some, okay, because Asian culture, you know, it's something shameful. Nobody wants to talk about it. So it's just being swept under the carpet. But I remember that day there was a quarrel. Uh, there was a big quarrel. Yeah, because it's my distance cousin. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we are living in a village. Kampong. Oh, wow,
0: yeah. you were living in Yes, kampong. I
1: used to stay in a Kampong. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So how do you think that incident affected you personally? Because of that incident, right, I, I, I just don't talk. I hardly talk. I play by myself, you know. I'll play the cooking or whatever, you know, toys that was being presented to me. I play by myself and I was taken care of by, uh, by my grandmother, separated from my sister. My sister was being taken care of by another auntie. So I always play by myself, very quiet. Then when my parents bring me to visit my grandfather, right, you know, I, I barely talk. I hardly talk. He, he thought that I'm mute. <laughs> so this girl got a speaking problem or what, you know. Of course, now as an adult, when we look back, then we understand What happened? Basically, I just shut down. But I found an outlet when I went to uh, preschool and primary school. Kindergarten. When I went to kindergarten and primary school, the teacher liked to get me to do storytelling. I love stories. So that's where I begin to speak. (laughs) But I only speak when I'm telling stories. Because you can escape. Maybe. Yes, it's a form. So I begin to see also like it's a form of uh, escape or outlet. It's an outlet. Because when you tell stories and act out that character in the story, you are no longer you, you see. You are a different character. You're playing the role. So that was an escape for me into another world.
0: (laughs) So yeah, this form of your own self-medication. So Mm -hmm. from that on, when you go to secondary school, will you start talking?
1: I'm still someone who doesn't talk much unless necessary <laughs> like you need to tell a story or you're being called out to do something or what then then i talk otherwise usually i'm very quiet actually when i'm alone i don't talk you ask my husband i'm very quiet at home right? we can be sitting together and we don't talk yeah we'll just go to the beach we walk i'm naturally a very quiet i'm an introvert then do you think
0: that any other incidents that makes you feel like you are not good enough then
1: Okay, so what happened? It was the the Molesque case, right? But I did very well in my academics, in my primary school. Because there's nothing else for me to focus but except with the academics. So I was actually doing very well until I came to secondary school at set three. Set three. I failed my A math. So again that's another another setback for for myself. Uh. I, I don't have the opportunity to tell stories anymore. So I had to find another outlet. To release all this negative energy that's in me. And I found that in uh, basketball. Going through it alone, right? Is it suppressing yourself? So there's a lot of suppression, suppressing, suppressing of emotions, the voices, you know, my opinions, whatever I think, whatever I feel, everything is suppressed. So I grow up very suppressed with all my emotions and thoughts. Yeah. And I released them through, you know, younger days, storytelling. Then after that, through the sports in, in basketball, because basketball is very aggressive, uh, you know, a lot of energy release. So that that helps to release the, a lot of negative energy. So then came to poly. I failed the first year. I, I repeated my first year in poly. So that again, like reinforces my belief that ah, I'm just not good in academics. I'm such a failure. So uh, from then onwards, in fact, from secondary school onwards, the, the time that I failed my A math, right, I decided that I'm not good in academics. I don't have to like try to score anymore. I just pass can already. Yeah, because I have this perfectionist mindset also that if you want to do, you be the best, you do the best. But if I cannot be the best, then I uh, yeah, then forget it like don't do, don't, don't even try.
0: So all this while while you are having these challenges, did you confide in your parents? Did you tell them anything?
1: Oh, uh, no, I can't talk to my parents about feelings. <laughs>
0: no, no feelings. That's an Asian culture, right? We don't really yeah talk about feelings. It was
1: very even very awkward to just hug and you know, all that back then. You know, it was all, after the the breakthroughs and you know personal development work. Then you know I'm able to. And now, of course, the relationship is very different. We can talk, we can hug and all that. But when I was a child and a teenager, uh, no, no, no hugging. No hugging. (laughs) Now that
0: you are a parent, looking back at them at that point, what do you think they go through? Like if you know that your child being molested, if you were in your parents' situation back then, right, there's no support. I mean, we don't learn about positive psychology. We don't have all these resources. Do you
1: think they also struggle themselves, your parents? Okay, my parents, their education, they they don't have that kind of knowledge. Yeah, you're right. They don't have that kind of knowledge. My mom is primary school, graduated. uh, She only completed her primary school. And my dad is secondary school. They don't have that, all those psychological kind of knowledge. I'm not even sure whether my parents are aware about the molest incident. Even until today, I, I don't bring it up to her because I'm concerned... If she knows, then it will hurt her if I bring it up. If she don't know, then worse, you know, like, oh, what such a big thing, you know. You never tell, tell me, you know. So I, I never talked to her about this. Never talked to her about this. Yeah. Yes. Now that
0: you're very different and you have a very different treatment with your daughter because you were in a different position, now the opposite. Yeah, now we, we, we communicate
1: very openly, very transparent.
0: So throughout this story, we see that your self-doubt and limiting self-belief actually have roots in your childhood being molested suppressed and having episodes of failure that keep reinforcing that not good enough mentality i'm sure all of us can relate with that i'm so glad that your story didn't end there so not only you have overcome it now you're helping other women get out from that toxic belief
1: so let's now go back to the book so the coming back to the book right that's where when i hear the inner voice say look around you and that's where i begin to see wow, so many inspiring stories around. me, And then I decided that, hey, instead of a woman of courage, I want to direct women of courage. I spoke to the publisher. They thought that was a fantastic idea. You know, I can interview different uh, women and their different stories and then using my, but not forgetting myself because that's something that I tend to, to forget, you know, self-forgetting. So they suggested, why don't I look at my story and then you see, you know, as I interview the, the different ladies, uh, where do they fit in and surprisingly uh, when I start to pen down my stories and then I start to interview the ladies I find that their stories fit a few of them will fit in nicely to each season of my life so when I was talking about motherhood you know and the struggles mine will be depression but theirs will be like maybe different pregnancy issues so some have uh, will have face the decision of even aborting the, you know, terminating the pregnancy and things like that. So it's about motherhood. And then there were those that I interviewed that, you know, also ventured into entrepreneurship. So, and then those who are facing body image issue. Yeah. And those that are facing different challenges like abuse or different adversities. Yeah. And then the other group will be those that are already contributing back to the community, to the society. So, it was very interesting that how the different stories of the ladies fit nicely into the whole framework of that book structure. So that book become a catalyst for the next step. Yes, I got very excited and, and inspired as I interview each one. I myself was very inspired. I felt that, hey, we could get more stories out. You know, remembering I love stories. Yes. Yeah, so then the idea of like, wow, how do I get... You know, there are, there are a lot more stories. I couldn't put everyone's stories in the book. So I only managed to put 23 stories in the book. Oh, there's quite a lot also. Yeah, so it, it took me quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I feel that there's so many more stories. How, how do I get these stories out? And then a few of the ladies that you are together, you know, we meet up, we learn about the different characters uh, in the Bible and then we edify each other. Then I get to hear your story and and more stories. So that's where I felt that there's something needs to be done here. I've been volunteering in different community groups uh, founded by different ones for different objectives, different goals. So I was happily volunteering, doing supporting their, their mission and vision. But um, again, it's, it's very different from what I hope to achieve. What do you hope to achieve? I hope to create this safe space where women can share our stories to, to specifically to inspire and equip women with key learning points and strategies and practical strategies and tips that we learn from our past experiences to to each other and provide this support system because I I got out of my depression because of a support system that was organically uh, created and also connecting mother support group. I didn't have that. I had to create that. And that led me to think that, hey, you know, if I can rally a few ladies to come together, we can create that support system.
0: Now you are creating a very conducive environment for women, not only to thrive. I think this woman of Courage Asia, as I'm part of it, I see the works that you've done and people are yearning. Like you mentioned just now, we are being suppressed all the time. But actually there's part of us that want to come out, want to make a mark. Everyone wants to make a mark. Then this as a collective march together and then we inspire each other. Is this
1: community what you hope for actually? Okay. When when I first started it, it, it wasn't something I imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But after I started it, I begin to imagine <laughs> uh, okay. You just okay. like what do you say, step first? I guess I'm, I'm also pretty spontaneous. Uh, my personality is pretty spontaneous, you know, like I, I just do first and then take a step back and take a look. This is something that I wanted for myself, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have it. I couldn't find one that I feel safe. I just went ahead and created. <laughs> yeah, just jump start and just do it. And then now looking back, uh, yeah, you can see, you, you I mean, you are involved, you can see that there's a lot of things that we need to put in place, the system and all that. So I'm someone that, you know, just, just start creating that space. Then you put in the furnishing, you know.
0: <laughs> it's one thing to want to develop yourself, which is that itself is really very good. But it's another level to want to help others develop themselves. Certainly not easy.
1: Do you always have the desire to help others? I think it's started from wanting to be a role model for my children. Unfortunately, I'm all human beings are selfish you know i have to admit that you know my my very initial pure simple desire was to be a good role model for my children to teach them all about courage and to teach them the courage i must be doing something courageous right that that requires requires uh courage from me to step out so that was actually the the beginning of everything just for my children actually and then it inspired others I think yeah. it's
0: also the same like me. Uh, I also want to do the business currently because of my children. Like my mm. daughter are really happy. I say, oh, you're the leader of Rosette. So she feels confident. So it's really for the next generation. We saw this seed because we don't have like that growing up. Yeah. So now with the moment
1: of courage, Asia, what what is your next step? I mean, the vision has always been to inspire and empower, you know, the ladies to, to look at their own life stories because Every story, you can turn it into a powerful tool to empower another. If you want to do something bigger, you have to have more influence. You want to get gather more women coming together because we all are very unique individual. Mm. My story will only resonate with the ladies who have similar personality with me. But then, you know, different ones will resonate with different ones. Ma. Yes. So if we all can come together, that's why I love this quote. Uh, I think you heard me mention before by Matthew Arnold. He said that if there ever comes a time when the women of the world come together simply and purely for the good of mankind, it would be a force such as the world never. Now. now, when I first heard this quote, right, I have goosebumps. I told myself, I want to be that force. I want to be part of that force to gather the women together and to see each one living out our dreams, our passions, and being able to use our stories as a powerful tool to, to uh, equip and empower the ladies around us. I think what you started is really special. I did join a
0: Women Entrepreneur Network, but Women of Courage Asia is really different. It feels like sisterhood. feels like I have known the leaders forever. Maybe because we share our own deepest, darkest secret and our own. Like the quote says, people will admire you for your strength but they will connect with your weaknesses and also the support system. This podcast wouldn't be happening if it's not for the coaching session with you. We have two coaching sessions, right, for this. Also, we have a lot of uh, challenge, like Facebook challenge, and it's fun (laughs) doing it together with a lot of people. One question though, you name it Women of Courage Asia, not Singapore. Did you have vision beyond our sunny Singapore? Yeah,
1: Yeah. actually, yeah. Uh, When I decided to use the name uh, women of Courage Asia, you're right. I do have the vision of seeing women from all over Asia mm. coming together, rising up, like the code say, coming together as a force for good. Um, uh, it's not just Singaporean, but Indonesian, Philippines, Thailand, uh, yeah, throughout Asia. Yes.
0: That's a strong vision. We don't really have many female role models in this area of vulnerability and courage. In Asia, everything seems about fa- face value. Do not show your weaknesses. Like you mentioned, we do not talk about Feelings is touchy and awkward. We don't know how to react even as this age. But I think it's slowly changing. I see the younger generation are not afraid to express themselves through social media like TikTok or even Instagram. So I guess it's our role to be the conscious parents who create an open and supportive environment. Yep. So now, Lilian, for people who are stuck, who are feeling stuck at the moment and fearful, especially during this
1: pandemic, what are the steps they need to take to come out from it? Yeah, I think first of all, uh, we we must acknowledge where we are. Because if you do not know where you are and where you want to be, even even if you do not know exactly where you want to be down the road, but you know, at least the next step, then you can find out be resourceful enough to, you know, find out what are the steps to get you to, to the next uh, the next destination. You remember I said that I the meltdown? That was when I acknowledge that, that's why it was a meltdown and a breakthrough at the same time. Yeah, because if I did not acknowledge where I was and I continue to be in self-denial that I'm okay, you know, I'm holding everything together, I'm in control, everything's okay. If I continue in that, I, I will continue to break down and, and be in that vicious cycle. But once I acknowledge where I was, what do I need? And make a decision whether you want to move forward or not. Because nobody can get you out of your comfort zone unless you choose to do so. You can bring the cow or bring the horse to the river. The horse or the cow don't want to drink the water. There's no way you can force it. So that's that. That's the first step. Of course, then, you know, the 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 how-to, there are a lot of programs out there. There are a lot of coaches and mentors out there. There's support system out there to support, you know, support you to actually move forward. But first step first is acknowledge where you are do you want to change do you want to you know get out of this situation so that's the first step i think that's also the takeaway
0: from this conversation knowing yourself asking yourself like do you really want to change then looking back on the hindsight is that small decision actually that leads to
1: many many other steps yeah once you take that first step you know then you have You are encouraged to do that. take the next step and the next step and the next step. Yeah, I I didn't come all the way. I mean, I'm still taking baby steps until today. I'm still taking baby steps in whatever I do. But the the question, again, I always ask myself is, where am I now? And do I want to stay here like that? Or do I want to take the next step, make that change? If I want to, then okay. Then the how-to will come in. (laughs) Then you will go and (laughs) source out all the how-to. That's why you unleash your resourcefulness, right? We all have that resourcefulness in us.
0: I think that's really good reminder, really good reminder. I think a lot of people will be very inspired by you to make a change. So the takeaway from this conversation is first acknowledge acknowledge where you where are, you are, are. Where you are. And then asking yourself, do you want to change? Right? Yeah. Do you want to change? Also the third one, I see you taking that step after hmm. acknowledge, after asking, do you want to change? Then actually the baby step, like whether you are registering your company. When accepting that help, when texting somebody like, hey, can you help me with this? That's a step. Actually, to add in
1: one more very important point is why do you change. Yeah. Because if you don't know why, your change will not be sustained. Your actions that follow will not be sustainable. True. Because when you are doing it halfway, then... You want to. Yes, you acknowledge you want to, but then, you know, you don't know why you do what you do. Mm. Mm you will still fall back into a cycle and it
0: could be as simple as you want to be a role model for your children right yes yeah. yes it doesn't have to be with the big why you want to change the world just change one person's
1: life one baby step at a time and that brings me back to another quote that I always you know remind myself that is by St. Francis of Assisi he says that start by doing what is necessary then you do what is possible and suddenly you'll be doing the impossible very powerful. Yes.
0: So thank you so much, Lillian. That is a very thank powerful you. quote. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's a wrap for our first episode of No Ordinary Story with me, Helen Lee. As you have heard, we go deep into each personal stories, peeling layers by layers of what makes a person tick. I am the founder and creative director of Rosette Designs & Co., a wedding and event planning company in Singapore. I do this podcast as part of my own contribution to inspire anyone to pursue their calling. Honestly, it takes a lot of time to produce because I'm doing it myself, so we only do it once a month. So next month, we have Melvin Lau from the popular photography group Multifolds sharing his story.